Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR Show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Uh, good morning and welcome to this rather overcast and cool day, but we should be thankful because we had a very hot week and we actually needed some rain. I'm not sure if we've had quite enough rain yet, however, um, but us Joburg is in particular fairly intolerant about more than a couple of days of overcastness, but I think we should show some patience. It will all be good for the dams and the water levels if if it continues this way. It is, of course, the uh, very expected uh, January stroke February weather that comes with hurricanes and tornadoes and whatever. I think the different things in different parts of the uh, of the world but that hit our coast from Madagascar onto Mozambique, and then we get the, the sort of leftovers. So you've already got considerable flooding in Mozambique. You've got flooding on in the game reserves up north. Um, so it, it's it's rough for the for people living in that area, but it's it happens every single year. And in a way that's, dare I say it, a bit reassuring. Uh, you've got me on today. Uh, Big Daddy Liberty is uh, out and about still. Uh, he'll be back in a while. And uh, I have an interesting guest for you. I'll introduce him later and we'll get into a topic that is not often discussed but is relevant at, the, at this time, and that is the issue of extending bargaining council agreements on conditions of employment to non-members in an industry. And this relates to the essentially the restaurant trade, and it's particularly of concerning and, and important uh, of now. But just for the next few minutes to have a look at what's uh, been making the news, um, and it can't be, it can't go without being said that uh, Sidney Mafamadi's evidence at the Zona Commission yesterday was juicy to say the least. Now, for those of us of a certain age, you'll probably remember that Sidney Mafamadi was our first Minister of Police. Except in those days, the ministry was called the Ministry for Safety and Security, which suggests a very quite a different tenor, and now was a long time ago. And obviously a lot of what he said will have to be backed up by other evidence, but um, we, we've, we've all sort of known from lots of revelations in the past few years and um, talk that this uh, secret services during the time of Jacob Zuma were basically um, rotten to the core and uh, I don't know what they were doing. It was certainly secret, secret, but services to the country, not so much. So what came out in Sidney Mafamadi's evidence was that um, under a thing called <laughs> Project Commitment, the um, agency set aside millions per month for Jacob Zuma. Uh, and this happened every month from 2015 to 2017. And in the financial year 2015-2016, it was two and a half million rand a month. And then from 2016 stroke 2017, it was four and a half million rand. Now, um, the fact of it isn't so much a surprise. Um, nothing with related to the dirty dealings of Jacob Zuma would surprise us. But there is an element of... What exactly were they paying him for? Or were they just essentially, Master, here is the money you, we, you asked us for and we're paying to, it to you monthly. And it just so much so was money paid to Jacob Zuma for, for, for that sake. 
Um, that's the one element. The other one was a thing called Project Justice. Now, don't you love these sort of completely contradictory titles? This was a project to bribe judges to make rulings in Jacob Zuma's favor. Um, now, I... <laughs> oh wow! This is uh, this is really this is this is really this is almost this is classic, but but to a kind of unsubtle degree, and one just has to bear this in mind, and we'll see what other evidence comes up, or whether this evidence is supported. Um, as as Jacob Zuma heads, I won't say inexorably because there's nothing inexorable about anything that happens to Jacob Zuma um, to court. I think he's going to call his court case. Um, with Tyler's is supposed to happen at the beginning of uh, April. So we shall see because I'm sure the very last thing he will ever want is for any court case to proceed. And so we can probably expect some more legal machinations to try and avoid it. But it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch a man sort of say he was a good president. He did good things for the country. He's not guilty of these things. And absolutely nobody but his uh, staunchest supporters are going are going to believe him. But fortunately, it's for a court to decide beyond reasonable doubt whether the, whether the evidence presented uh, uh, shows up uh, shows him for what we think he is. But bear in mind that this particular court case only deals with the the allegations of corruption that occurred around. The honors deal, and that was a hell of a long time ago. So theoretically, there are years of potential court cases over illegal, unlawful criminal activity that we can look forward to. Um, oh dear, oh dear. So here we go, uh, watching, watching that. The other thing I want to just mention is perhaps very Joburg specific, but it has probably affected many, if not most of us, and that is that uh, the issue of electrical cable theft. Now, I know personally that I, I, we went through a stage here for a couple of years where we were losing cables virtually monthly um, to, to theft. Very slick operation, very quick. Um, and the, I have to feel almost sorry for them. The municipality had to come out, install new cables, etc., etc. It is now called for cooperation in the issue on the issue of, cop, of copper um, cable theft from uh, police, from uh, neighborhood watchers, community forums, etc., etc., to help overcome the scourge. Because apparently for the financial, the financial year ended at the end of 2020, they spent, they lost 14.4 million worth of, of copper cable. Now, my only concern, and I hope this will not be borne out, is that when Ever a, a government ministry at a higher or lower level calls for cooperation from the private sector, it tends to be very uneven, and the, often the private sector is either kind of ignored or treated a little bit short of the respect they deserve. Um, I'm hoping it won't be the case in, in, in uh, after this particular call, and apparently the municipality is now is has started replacing the copper cables with aluminium bundle cables. Now, these apparently are worth nothing. Now, it really would pay for everyone to cooperate in this for the simple reason that if they can finally roll out these cables to replace the copper cables that keep being stolen, it would pretty much cut the industry, the illegal industry, dead. 
Um, and if these things do work, wow, that should make a huge difference because, of course, not only would you have the save on the manpower to replace the cables, but you'd have to – you'd completely – you do away with needing to replace them at all until they finally wear out, and that has got to be a significant saving for the municipality. Um, but as I said, we wait and see, and hopefully we'll um, uh, we'll, we'll finally uh, see some some benefits. Uh, just to mention that, uh, sadly, I think largely because of COVID, not entirely, but largely because of COVID, we've tended to see a, a sort of rash of deaths of fairly uh, iconic figures to, of a to a greater iconic to a greater or lesser extent. Uh, in, in the past, literally less than a week, we've seen uh, the, the death of Jackson in Tembu. Uh, uh, 25 years of TV hosting from Larry King, um, Alvin Collison. I don't know how many people remember Alvin Collison who made his name. He was a general entertainer and singer, and he really made his name as uh, the pharaoh in uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which was on, gosh, our stages for, for years and years and years. And then uh, most recently this weekend, uh, Jonas Gwangwa, really the South Africa's most famous jazz trombonist. Um, he had a, a career that was stellar. He had he, he had activist credentials. He worked with uh, everyone who who mattered, um, including people like Hugh Masekela. In fact, the, the first group whose name I, 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 I forget, the famous famous uh, uh, group was were formed were formed together. So it's it, it's a, it's sad that one sort of seeing all these familiar people, one's aware of them suddenly dying and being caught up by the uh, the horror that is that is COVID. Um, but in a way, possibly the saddest was Jackson Tembu, a because he was fairly young. He was the other guys were in their eighties. He was in his sixties, and he'd, he he seemed to have genu- been genuinely liked across the political spectrum, and he had a sort of uh, Gruff humanity that, uh, that, that one, that one really liked. Having so said, we'll go on to our first ad break and then come back to our specialist interview. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back and thank you for joining us. I would like to introduce you to our guest, Leon Trout. Uh, just a bit of background. Leon holds a BA honors degree from Stenbosch University and an industrial relations development program diploma from the, from Stenbosch Business School. Leon's corporate career commenced as an IR officer at, at Anglo Americans Free Gold North Mine and he then joined PEP Manufacturing as a human resources manager, moving into a line management position as operations manager for a textile manufacturing company within the group. Uh, Leon's with the company since 1994 and is currently a shareholder and managing director of Integrated Labor Solutions. Leon, welcome to the IRR show. Thank you, Sarah. Leon, just give us a little background as to what Integrated Labor Solutions does. Okay, so Integrated Labor Solutions has been around for about 25 years, and I joined it for my sins uh, in 1994. Um, uh, it's a management consultancy that mm-hmm. specializes in labor relations matters. 
uh, and labor law for that matter. So, But we're not a legal firm per se, although there are a few attorneys in the business. Mm-hmm. We operate as a management consultancy. However, for purposes of this this conversation, mm-hmm. and by the way, we have a national footprint, and we specialize in, in the hospitality industry, in particular hotels, restaurants, etc. Okay, have, right. Yeah, for, that, that's what I wanted to ask you about. <laughs> for purposes of this conversation, um, I'm also from uh, an office bearer for FedHasa, mm-hmm. which, is, which is the Federated Hospitality Association of South Africa, which represents hotels, restaurants, fast food outlets, etc., and FedHasa is the body, the employer body, mm-hmm. that is taking legal action, and I'll get to that later, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, the, I wanted to ask about that, about FedHasa's reach as, a, as an employer body. Uh, is, it, is, is its membership specific to certain provinces, or is it national, and what sort of, uh, how, what sort of number of, mem- of members does it have? So FedHasa is national, and it's been around since the 1940s, uh, mm-hmm. from what I can gather going back. In its, so it's, it's a well-established employers' organization that's been around for, for, for many, many decades. Um, and it not only represents their members in terms of, of labor matters, but also in terms of the industry, lobbying with the industry, lobbying with government, NEDLAC, uh, Etc. Um, in terms of any legislation that pertains to the restaurant industry, currently in terms of the COVID issues, you can imagine that Fedasa has been quite mm. busy <laughs> trying uh, is the right word to 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 do what we can. Um, but on liquor licenses, etc. You know they mm. they they involved and they've got literally thousands of members uh, throughout the whole country, okay. both. In, in, in both in hotels, restaurants, and allied uh, fast foods, allied industries to to it as well. Okay, I assume a lot of uh, the work uh, related to the COVID uh, to COVID has must have been amongst a million things that had had to deal with in the industry. Is the and before we get on to the bargaining council, is the issue of the banning, unbanning, rebanning of uh, of alcohol sales. Yeah, that is. Uh, I, I'm personally not involved in that at all because I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a labour. Uh, but yes, uh, it's it's uh, and it, it hits the industry the hardest. You know, who wants to go for a steak if you can't have a glass of red wine with it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, and and that's where margin is. You know, so yeah, no, it's, it's hit hard, mm-hmm. and, and we're doing what we can. But I, I'm not involved in that side of the you probably probably just as well for your own sanity. Um, let me get on, let's get on to the uh, bargaining council agreement. Um, can you just explain uh, for listeners who are not afraid with the arcane uh, detail of bargaining councils, uh, what a bargaining council is and what the bargaining council scenario is with this industry? So, in a nutshell, a bargaining council is a body that represents both employer and employer party, uh, like employers' organizations, as well as tra- employees through their respective trade unions, if they come together, get a collective agreement, they can, provided they are, uh, and this is, this is one of the debates, certain levels of representation, they can establish uh, an agreement and say for this industry, 
whether it's for the motor industry or the road freight industry or whatever industry, they can establish a bargaining council and say, for this industry, this is the minimum wage, this is the the, the uh, pension fund or provident fund, and everybody then, ha- uh, uh, if it's extended to non-parties, which this is all about, has to abide by that bargaining council. Okay. So, yeah. Um, can I, uh, one thing that concerns me, because I, I mean, I'm, Many, many years ago, I, I was a labor lawyer and the bargaining, the bargaining council system is, is, is older than Fithas. I mean, it, it goes back in, to the twenties, but it, it took on a sort of new political meaning, uh, under, under the ANC government because the, the ANC and Kasatu were very much looking at one union, one industry. That was the attitude in, in 1994. And this system for sort of fed into that, um, perfectly. But, but to, the way I see it, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it, it's, a, it's an industry, it's a system that may work where you have relatively small numbers of large employers, um, such as steel, iron, metal, those sorts of industries. But this industry of, rest, of uh, where you're dealing with coffee shops, restaurants, fast food outlets, um, I would have thought would actually be very difficult for any union to get a, 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 for any union to unionize the majority of an industry, or even to, for an employer's association to get as a majority it, for, of its members the majority of, of, of the industry. It, it's, it's, such a, it's such a rats and mice industry and so widespread. I agree with you, Sarah. I think that's exactly, and that's exactly the point here. And it's so difficult to establish because the point you've made Following on from my earlier point, um, and I agree with you about the history, etc. But where we are right now, and this particular industry, is how do you how how do you even know how many um, fast food outlets taverns? Because taverns are included Mm. in particular bargaining council. There's apparently more than thirty thousand taverns out there, um, and it's a relatively fluid fluid industry. You know, so. Yeah, no, so it is difficult, and rats and mice might not be the right term to use. <laughs> if there are so many little small guys with, with five or six or ten employees, a coffee shop, or they all fall under, it's very difficult to, to, to recruit and even prove that you've got the majority uh, of all those. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so, uh, very nice rats and mice, however. Um, because one of the things that's always classic, it was, it, it, and certainly when I was last doing the uh, labour law, uh, the, a lot of discussion then was around domestic workers and how difficult it's how difficult it is to to unionise enough small businesses, um, particularly for for a trade union. The, the energies, understandably, from a business point of view, are best spent where you can get 100, 200,000 uh, members and you, you've really got clout. Here you've got so much spread. Um, the, the, two, the two employers associations who are party to this agreement uh, that excludes everywhere but uh, includes everywhere but Gauteng, yeah. I gather they together uh, have membership of about 10,000 people, uh, 10, sorry, 10,000 uh, entities. And yet, as you say, you're looking at restaurants, coffee shops, uh, taverns, a fast food outlet. One of the figures that's been touted is you're probably looking in the area unknown completely of about 300,000 entities. Uh, I think 
these two differences I just want to point out. The, mm-hmm. the, the, two, the two employer organizations, CATRA and the GEO, which is the Guardian Employers Organization, which are the members of this bargaining council, they claim to have 1,143 enterprises as members. Good one. 143. And, and you quite correctly said we've got to, and, and, and it's a very, I mean, there are, Certain magisterial districts that's in and out, and, and I don't want to go into that detail. Mm. Too boring, but um, essentially, yes, you cut out Johannesburg and Pretoria metropolitans from it. But they say that in the rest of South Africa, other than that area, they have as members 1,143, and they say in that whole area, and that they are the majority because in that whole area, they say they claim in their application to the Department of Labor that there's 2,160. Other inter- in total, 2,120 enterprises. Now, that is just, um, that's just impossible. Um, yeah, so of course the question then gets asked is that if, you know, logically we'd all assume that that just, you know, that, that just doesn't make sense. So how would the Labour Registrar um, have registered them? I mean, surely they do some investigation uh, before they... Uh, decide whether the, the claims made by the employer organizations are correct or not. So you put your finger exactly on the issue that Fed Hasa, um is, uh, I don't even want to say disputing or fighting because, mm. but, but let me just say yes, the registrar of the Department of Labor has to verify the claims of the bargaining council. So the bargaining council goes to the, the, the um, registrar and claims either that they have a majority or that they have a sufficient level of representativity. If they claim to have a majority, uh, or either the, the, the registrar at the Department of Labor has to verify both their membership on the one hand for the unions mm-hmm. and the employers employing the employees that they indeed do have the majority. If they don't have the majority, then they've got to go to the rest of the industry and invite an opportunity for representations. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then FIDHASA and RASA and all the other employers are then, or even individual coffee shops are welcome to put their representations and say this should not be so. This case, we, the rest of the, the industry were not invited to make representations to say, well, um, we disagree. Why not? Because the Department of Labor, the registrar, in their verification, found or ruled that it is indeed a majority. Um, and that is what we are challenging. We're saying that registrar made a mistake both in terms of the number of, of employees in the industry as a whole outside of counting uh, mm-hmm. and as well as the number of employers employing employees um, uh, outside of counting by a massive margin. It's a, it's a tsunami margin that they somehow missed. Um, if I – you can shut me up here, but I just want – what Carry on. The first thing is we went to the Department of Labor and met with, with, with representatives from their collective bargaining department um, who were really um, not belligerent towards us and neither were we towards them. We just said, look, this is the reality. Um, you claim and your registrar claim that you're the majority or that this bargaining council has the majority. And we dispute that vehemently. Um, mm. And the natural of that was that they said, well, it is what it is. Um, the minister has signed off, and the only way 
we can reverse this is if you take legal action against us. So mm. Rasa didn't go with the intent to go legal. Uh, mm. uh, the Department of Labor, in, in, in good faith, almost put their hands up and said, look, if you're disputing this, you've got to go legal. There's no other route. Mm. Um, I see that this count, that this bargaining council was formed last year. Am I correct in that? Yeah, they applied in 2017 October um, right. to become a bargaining council, and then it took almost two and a half years. And then uh, February 2020, uh, the bargaining council was then uh, um, uh, certified by the, the, the Department of Labour. Then uh, in October they then applied for it to be extended to non-parties. And that's where the problem comes in. Because, okay. you know, if they want to have a bargaining council for the parties that are members, that's fine. But if they want to extend it to non-parties, then on who, it's unconscionable. Mm. It's what the industry. Sorry. What, what, what struck me, and, and I did, wanted to ask you about this, is they have to apply for the extension. Did the minister have to extend it now, uh, in, uh, merits of the issue aside, from a purely the point of view of looking at where we are in the middle of COVID, how desperate the industry is, to say the very least. Um, it's a sort of public relations disaster for, for, the, for the government. Did it have to be done now, if it, was going, if it had to be done at all? Um, so the application from the bargaining council to extend it to non-party members um, was done in October last year. Um, in retrospect, because the first time the rest of South Africa or the rest of the industry became aware of it was on the 8th of, well, well I became aware of it on the 8th. That's the day the government gazette came out. Um, and that's the first time anybody other than the parties to the bargaining council had any idea. The minister mm -hmm. signed off on the 18th of December. But, um, Sarah, we don't want to fight or point fingers at the minister. Yes, it's uh, or at the Department of Labor. It sounds tone deaf, but they also have certain regulations against which they have to, within a certain period of time, go and assess, etc., and sign off. Mm -hmm. And that those laws are there. You know, um, I know it sounds tone deaf against the background of COVID and restaurants being on their knees. Um, but it is what it is, and they did what they had to do. We are just challenging the actual verification process and the numbers that they based it on. Yeah, no, uh, um, uh, that 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 makes sense. It, it does, however, seem unfortunate because uh, I think in the circumstances, if if the minister could find a way to have postponed it or put it on hold or whatever you want to call it, um, yeah. it would have shown, if just from a PR point of view, it would have shown some empathy towards a very beleaguered industry. So from a layman's point of view, it looked like, you know, the ANC is uh, banning us from having roast chicken again. It, it had that quality to it. It was, it, it, we were astounded. Yeah. Uh, from a PR point of view, it's a disaster. Um, but, you know, the, uh, I don't want to comment on that. We, we, we are not hoggerheads with the Department of Labor per se. Mm -hmm. you know? We just want this thing to go away, and that's why we met with them and said we don't want to, we don't want to spend tens of thousands of rands because this is what this is costing us now. Mm, mm. Um, we don't want to, and we just want to have a chat and, and and please just withdraw this thing because we are on our knees, a, and b, 
this is not a majority. It's 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 clear, but there's nothing we can do. It, 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 we have to just take the legal route now, and we have done that. So that urgent interdict will go off this week, actually, against the uh, inter alia against the registrar uh, of the Department of Labor, the bargaining council itself, and the Minister of Labor. Although we don't have a fight, we just wanted to. They must just recognise that their figures were wrong. Yes, in all in all fairness, um, I've, I'm, I'm aware from people who've uh, acted, uh, uh, legal practitioners who've, who've acted for applicants against certain regulations, that very often um, they've either reached agreement on, sort of on the steps of court, or uh, the government hasn't really been that oppositional because they, in the way, recognise that a challenge is is important for a regulation to have authority or to make any sense. Um, so the, the, the approach is that you've, that you've taken is not, is not that uncommon. I think it's just to a large extent, the, as I said, us laymen tend to look at it and think, good, god damn it, you know, <laughs> you know, sort of nails in coffins and things as, as the media is want to, uh, is, yeah. is want to state. Um, what, one gets a strange. Uh, this is a sort of just general question on, on sort of impression. Is um, there's an impression that on the one hand there are entities closing down, being forced in, into liquidation uh, for obvious reasons, and on the other hand you're suddenly starting to see a whole range of of, com- of restaurants either being revived or new ones coming on stream. Um, that seems to be almost counterintuitive given the Given the, the, the extreme situation the, the industry is in, um, what would you attribute to the sort of sudden rise of or reopening of, of, of restaurants who've been otherwise dormant in, in, this, in these very trying times? Um, Sarah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm personally not aware of a, a massive surge in restaurants. No, no, it's, uh, just, it's, just, it's just a sort of anecdotal observation. Yeah. I, 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 so I can't really comment on that observation. Um, I, what I know, and I, and if I can take my Fed Haas, I had off and put my integrated labor solutions mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as, a, as a management consultant to the industry. Um, sadly, we've, 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 lost many clients who basically shut doors. They hung in there, um, you know, through the initial lockdown and the period up until August, September, October, hoping things are going to turn. And then uh, many have just thrown in the, at the end of the day, we can't, we can't trade under these circumstances, you know, and then others are, are making it, but no, nobody's, nobody's coining it at the moment. Yes. Yes. No, no, it's, it's, I, I would, I would hate to be in the industry. Um, Right now, Leon, thank you very much, for, very much for that insight. It's it's uh, it's uh, generally an unknown one, and I think it's an important one, and it's an important one to understand. And it's not, it's there are no clear cut uh, heroes and enemies, shall I put it that way? Yeah. Um, thank you very much for joining me this morning. I have to say, if there's any 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 restauranteurs, uh, fast food artists, etc., out there that's listening to it in the greater South Africa, except Gauteng, and they're stressing about what must I do now? Fed Hasa to their members, and whatever we we gain will apply to non-members as well. If they want, they can join anyway. But um, we are saying to our members: just hold your horses. Even if you get approached by a bargaining council agent that says mm-hmm. yes, that you must join, they've got 30 days before they have to join the bargaining council. And hopefully by then we will have an outcome of the interdict that we're launching this week. 
um, should should have a very quick turnaround, um, and then we will let our members know whether they're going to go have to join the bargaining council or not. We are quietly confident that the figures will speak for itself on this one. Uh, excellent. I, I, I will keep an eye on it as, as well um, um, to to make it known in, in, in a later program and uh, perhaps ch- bring you on for a little further discussion on it. But thank you very much. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, thank you. And now we go on to an ad break. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. One of the biggest and most life-threatening mysteries is how the virus causes silent hypoxia, a condition where oxygen levels in the body are abnormally low. Through the administration of concentrated oxygen, whilst in a pressurized or hyperbaric environment, oxygenate assists in reverting this and creating hyperoxia, a state in which oxygen supply is excessive. Fast track your recovery from long-term COVID effects. Our contact number is 086-099-5288. Welcome back to this last uh, part of the uh, of, of the program, and I'd, I'd like to just chat about because it, it will have ramifications on uh, on on this, the continuing saga of COVID and how to deal with the vaccination process. Uh, but let's have just a little look at some of the things that came out of the ANC's Lechotla over the weekend. Um, now, I don't know if anyone watched this, um, but I don't know if it was just the length of the Lechotla or the, the overwhelming pressure on government, but President Ramaphosa looked tired. Um, and in a way, it was almost what didn't come out of the Lechotla than what did. Um, there were no discussions about whether Ace Magashula uh, stepped down uh, pending um, the finalization of any criminal charges against him uh, per ANC resolution rules. Um, there was no outline of the vaccination program that the government wants to um, wants to uh, embark upon. Now, what, what's, what's concerning is there have been a couple of articles recently that says the, the, the government would best be led, in fact, by the private sector on this. And part of the reason is because much of the private sector that is involved in this issue in, in the distribution and, and administra- administering of uh, vaccines have very good contacts with clinics and pharma- pharmacies, not just in the cities, but in outlying areas. And uh, th- they may, in fact, be better placed to reach people than the government may with its, with its rural hospitals. So one would like to see, in this respect, government really, really showing some respect to the private sector and both parties cooperating in this regard. Then Ramaphosa made a very Ramaphosa-type comment. He um, uh, he said South Africa must, de- must develop its own cap- capacity to produce vaccines, quote, African solutions to African problems. And my heart sank as low as it could possibly sink because there are no... The, when it comes to things like medicine and saving lives, there are no things such as African solutions to African problems. And there are solutions that are proven as best as possible anywhere in the world and solutions that are not proven the best anywhere in the world. And the best, the solutions that are proven to work or most likely to work are the ones you adopt. It doesn't matter whether they come from I don't know, Timbuktu or Turkey. It really, really doesn't matter. And this, 
tendency to fall back on what ultimately become non-existent African solution to African problems is on the one hand, I would suggest a, a, a sign of an inferiority complex. And on the, on the other hand, a sort of suggestion of inordinate ar- arrogance. It, it is time that our government, our representatives, deal with the fact that, that South Africa is a country like a whole lot of others. It doesn't have any particular weight in the world. It basically should show some humility to what other countries, and usually larger, um, highly scientific oriented countries, can do for us. And we sh- the, the, the extent to which we can be so sort of maybe demanding and critical is just, is, is not warranted. And it really doesn't look very good. I mean, we, believe it or not, we do not have any special status in, in, in the world. And other countries, and other countries in Africa have shown their preparedness to respond pragmatically to what other countries have to offer in this regard is making us look really rather bad and, 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 and we're starting to show our hubris in this regard. So I, I would like us to disabuse ourselves of the, of the idea of the African solutions to African problems. There are, you go with the solutions that are best and most readily available to your problems. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. Um, the other, one of the other things that the ANC says is that it, it must act on the issue of, of uh, combating unequal pay for equal work. So presumably this is about you know, men earning uh, more than women do, though women do the same work as, as men do. Now, this is actually a much more uh, nuanced and complicated issue than, than it would appear. And again, one suggests that in a time of unprecedented crisis, uh, I mean, really unprecedented crisis, I'm not sure that needed to be on the, as an agenda item, let's put it that, that way. Um, the other mantra that was with, that was trotted out again, again was that land reform must be expedited. Um, we've taken a very firm position as the IRR against uh, uh, expropriation without compensation, and more to the point that it actually has nothing to do with expediting land reform. That land reform has just been ba- very badly handled from handled from word go. So, with that exciting thought in mind, um, I place you in the hands of the advertisers. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to the final few minutes of the uh, of the program. Um, I was taken by there've been a couple of incidents or reports of traditional healers or pastors, or, uh, generally men with a certain amount of authority over a community, um, with who've been charged with or in the process of. Uh, undergoing trials into molestation of children, young women, rape, um, and I mean, the, the, the terrifying thing about this is you get a, you get an incident being reported almost daily in the media, and that's why I mention it because I think we'll see more of it. And sometimes the scale of 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 the uh, of the criminality is so huge, and it probably has a very a lot to do with the fact that we're dealing with men in positions of the ultimate trust. Um, men who are administering to people in difficult times, they are abusing the manipulation of their faith and their role in their faith. 
and it seems to be something, I don't want to say an epidemic, but it, it seems to be occurring more and more. And I suppose that probably is a reflection of the fact that when times are particularly difficult, people rely more and more on their religious leaders um, or their healers, and they are just right for either being defrauded or or worse. And But the idea of the raping of children, the raping of young women is just absolutely um, untenable. And if there's a sort of a book that could be thrown at them in the worst possible case as far as sentences go, these guys should uh, should uh, should get it. But um, we'll, uh, uh, as I say, you'll probably see signs of it as we go. Another thing just to mention, uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see whether this, whether more of this trends, is that the um, opposition leader in Uganda who lost uh, the election to Yusevi, uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> tongue-tied, I'll leave it uh, there. The president of Uganda, who's been there for over, well over 30, closing, I think, on 40 years now, um, has finally um, left his home because a court has ordered that he leave his, that he be allowed to leave his home. Now, Museveni had in place under house arrest literally as the election ended and the uh, and the results were being announced. I don't know if, if perhaps uh, the president is not a that uh, doesn't have a great sense of irony that the so-called sort of substantial majority that he allegedly won and the accusations that he stole the election and that he is just a thuggish dictator. The, the two don't, the, you know, they kind of become glaringly obvious in this particular case, and we might see um, more on it because there's been quite a lot of overseas media on it. But what there hasn't been is comment from South Africa to any extent, and comment from the African Union, which is supposed to represent the continent, the continent's uh, interests. Um, on the other hand, some of you may uh, not be entirely surprised by that. So both of these are in their own way. Uh, will probably be ongoing, ongoing things, and uh, perhaps we need to talk about the uh, the issues of the power of of healers and uh, leaders leaders in in faith um, over the vulnerable and the exploitation that is possible. But that's a discussion for another day. With that, I'd like to thank you and ask you to go to our website dailyfriend.co.za to read more about what we do, what we think, what we say, and to urge you to accept, as a lot of people are struggling at the moment, that we express opinions and people may have other opinions and we're happy to have and and publish those those opinions because a, a difference of opinion always makes for much more interesting listening and reading. Thank you again and uh, we'll see you next week. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Whoever you are, wherever you live, whatever you do, you are part of the High FM community. High FM, connecting people. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life.